So if you have your Bibles, I'm going to be in Genesis chapter 3 today. Uh, the title of the sermon is Losing Paradise. Uh, pretty pretty uh, simple title there, Losing Paradise. And as you find your way to Genesis 3, I'm going to open us in a, a word of prayer. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit speak to our hearts. And Lord, just as the Holy Spirit hovered over the face of the waters, we pray that today the Holy Spirit would uh, hover within us, around us. Help us to acknowledge that, Lord, the Holy Spirit is not simply in this building, but in each and every home that's taking part in this service through live stream. And so, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to us, open our, our eyes, our minds, our hearts, and our ears to hear what you would have to say. Lord, help us to see the root of all struggles we face in this life is sin. And then, Lord, help us to know how to apply it to our lives so that daily we may truly walk with the Holy Spirit living and breathing and blessing and helping others through us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So it's, it's very rare that you can trace back to a, a very certain finite point in time uh, such as the fall of man, the sin in Genesis chapter 3, we can trace all struggles and all hardships and all hurts and all pains and diseases. Uh, we can trace them all back to one finite point in time, Genesis chapter 3. And so I want to take a, a look at that. So many people ask questions like, why, why are we dealing with this? Or, or, and it doesn't even have to be a disease. Why are we going through the struggles that we're facing and the reason, many people don't like it, but, but the answer really is because of Genesis 3. Because of the sin, there's consequences to sin, and our sin not only means consequences in our life, but the consequences in lives of others. And so when we sin, when we live outside the will of God, then it doesn't only impact our life, but it impacts the life of all those that we encounter and all those who, who we love and are close to. And, and so one sin by one person can impact a multitude of people. And so we see that very evident in chapter 3. I, I just want to start Genesis chapter 3 verse 1. I want to walk through this. I think there's so much in here to unpack that to try to do it any other way would not uh, work. And so I just want to walk through this chapter. Uh, we may not get through the whole chapter, but I want to walk through uh, beginning in verse 1. And verse 1 in chapter 3 says this, Now the serpent was more cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? And so there's a couple things I want you to take notice of uh, immediately. First, you'll notice that if you look back in Genesis 1, Genesis 2, uh, that the writer of Genesis' title, his title for God is not simply God, it is the Lord God. And so you'll notice that all of a sudden, Satan doesn't recognize God in his conversation as the Lord God, but simply as God. And it's important, you might just read right through that, but, but here's the implication. Satan does not care if you believe in God. Satan absolutely, it doesn't bother him one bit for you to believe in God. It doesn't bother him one bit for you to come to church. It doesn't bother him one bit for you to watch a sermon on, on Facebook. That doesn't bother Satan. What bothers Satan is when God is the Lord of your life. When you live your life for the Lord. And this we see, so when he addresses Eve already, he's saying... Uh, not the Lord God, not, not the king and the ruler of the universe who is God, but just God. Did, did God really say? 
This is one of Satan's oldest lies. Here's what Satan is essentially saying to Eve. Eve, God's holding out on you. God's holding good things back from you. Eve, did God really say, I mean, did God really say you couldn't eat from all the trees in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the trees, uh, we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said you must not eat it or touch it or you will die. And here Satan is acknowledging God. Notice this, acknowledging God. Eve, there's no question whether he's God, but did God really say to you this? And so what he's beginning to question in her life is, is God the Lord of your life? Isn't God just the creator of everything? And as the creator of everything, he knows that if you eat of this tree, then you're going to become like him. He says in verse 4, No, you will not die, the serpent said to the woman. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be open, open and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So I want you to notice just the temptation of Satan and how he approaches Eve. Here's a couple things I would say. One I've already mentioned, and that's this. It's okay to believe in God. Satan will never try to convince you that God doesn't exist. What Satan will try to convince you is that God, really, the best way to live is not for Him to be the Lord God in your life. Why? Because God's kind of holding out on you, Eve. How many of you remember early times in your Christian walk where you kind of had times where you felt like this, where, where you heard a sermon or you heard a lesson, and it was kind of like, man, God, you, you, don't, you just don't want us to have any fun, or God, you don't want us to be able to do these things. God, you just want us to live by all these rules, and of course that's wrong. Right, God frees us from all that stuff so that we can live an abundant life. But this is what Satan will begin to do in our hearts and our minds. He'll begin to ask you this question, did God really say that? Because it's really not true that you'll die. It's more that your eyes will be open and now you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. And so the oldest lie Satan tells is God's holding out on you. I want you to know, that I have lived many ways throughout my life. Um, before I was a pastor, I, I lived however I wanted to live. And I thought that I was kind of living it up. Anybody else ever lived it up? You know, I'm doing what I want to do. Uh, I'll, I'll pay God homage like I'll go to church on Sunday. Uh, in fact, I don't even mind giving 10% of what I make. I, I'll, I'll do that. that. That stuff don't bother me. But Monday through Saturday, God, I want to do my thing. And, and some of us, maybe, we, we've lived this. You know what, what we're saying. This is what Satan is really saying to Eve. Eve, God knows that if you eat this, you're going to be like God. This leads to another lie that Satan would tell us. Satan would tell us that man can become his own God. Eve, if you eat of this, it's not going to kill you, but it's going to open your eyes and you're going to be like God. Satan will tell us we can be our own gods. It's okay to believe in God, and it's okay to believe in the Bible, and it's okay to believe that we ought to live by some moral code, but ultimately, you ought to do what feels good to you. This is what Satan will tell us. You're not hurting anybody else. 
No, you're not strictly living by what the Bible would say is right, but you're not really hurting anybody else. You're not, you're not hurting others. You, you're just you're living your life for yourself. You want, you, you know, you're doing it your way, as Frank Sinatra might so uh, obviously sing, right? I did it my way. That's kind of what, what Satan will say to you, right? Here, do it your way. When God clearly has defined a certain way for us as Christians to live. And Satan will say, but, but you can be your own God. You can still believe in God and yet be your own God. You can become like God. In fact, many heresies throughout the history of the church have dealt with this heretical view that we can become like God. The notion that, well, Jesus wasn't always God, but he became God. That, that's just heresy. It's not true. It's, it's from, the, from the devil. Right? It's just not true. He, he has always been God. I mean, not from Bethlehem's manger, but from eternity past, he's always existed. He's always been God. Another lie that he tells is this. Hey, Eve, there are no consequences for your sin. There's nothing wrong with eating this. You're not going to die. God really told you if you eat this, you're going to die. There, there's no consequences to your sin. He tells us the same thing today constantly. That, that we can do what we want and live how we please and there's just no consequences to our sin. And until you bend down the road a few times and begin to realize that sin will take you down the road a lot further than you really want to go. And, and sin will take you to a place that you have to stay a whole lot longer than you wanted to stay. And sin will cost you a whole lot more than you really want to pay. Satan doesn't tell you all this up front. What Satan will say is there's no consequences. Live each day to the fullest doing it your own way. There's no consequences to this. Now this is the lie that Satan is feeding Eve. Am I submitting to you that Eve wants to be her own God? That, that Eve wants to uh, live however she wants no matter the consequence? I'm not saying that Eve has bought the whole argument. I'm just telling you this is how Satan approaches Eve and Adam who's there with her, right? He said, here we are. There are no consequences to your sin. You're really not going to die. And you can be like God, knowing both good and evil. So now Eve looks at the fruit. How many of you know that it becomes dangerous when you go from thinking about something to looking at something? It changes a little bit. Like, I had a thought, but now when I begin to entertain that thought, when I begin to look for something, when I begin to look toward it, Things change a little bit. Here Eve is, she's been thinking about this. Satan's been tempting her. And now here, here's the proposition. She looks at the fruit. And when she looks at the fruit, it's something she would like. It looks good to her. It's enticing. Right? Satan doesn't usually come to us and throw things that aren't attractive to us. Generally, when Satan tempts you, Satan's going to tempt you with something that is very attractive to you, that, that is very enticing for you. In the same way which he approaches Eve. And so I want you to see that. Satan will not come to you and tempt you in an area that you have no temptation of. They're just, we all have different areas in our life where we're tempted in different ways and in different means. And Satan knows how to push your buttons. Satan knows what to put in front of you. The question is, are you prepared? Are you prepared not to look on it when he puts it in front of you? Are you prepared to, as, uh, as the Lord Jesus Christ did say, no, Satan, it's written this. 
it's written this in Scripture. And even Satan's pretty cunning now, right? Not only do we see man tempted, but we see Christ tempted in the New Testament. And there, there's a parallel, there's this stark parallelism that's going on between how Satan tempted Eve and how Satan approaches Christ. It's this sense, the first man got it wrong, but the second man will get it right. The, the first man answered the questions and acted wrongly, but Christ will answer the questions a little differently. Just as Jesus is being tempted by Satan, Satan says, it's written that you can jump off the temple. You read this a paraphrase. It's written, you can jump off the pinnacle of the temple and he'll send his angels, give them charge over you so that you don't even dash your foot against a stone. Satan is using the very word of God out of context, out of place, twist it all up, but there's enough truth in it to make you wonder. Well, it is written that, that, that the Christ could, could jump from the temple and, and that, that God would send his angels to catch him before he heard. It's not written that he should tempt God in that manner. And so Christ answered, no, it's written you shall not tempt the Lord your God. And so are we prepared and are we ready for when temptation comes our way? But friends, you are looking into the very point, this finite point where sin enters the world. And when sin enters the world, here's the truth. Satan would say there are no consequences. There are consequences to our sin. And, and most of the time, those consequences are much bigger than we really want to pay. In this case, we are still dealing with the consequences of sin. Now, let, let me just, let, I'm not letting Adam and Eve off the hook and say they didn't sin. But here's what I want you to know. If you would have been in their place, you would have made the same decision. And so we don't use Adam and Eve as like a cop-out and say, well, we suffer all this stuff because of one decision made by Adam and Eve. No, if you were there, you would have made the same decision. Not one of us are better than anybody else. Not one of us are more righteous than the other. We're either forgiven and saved by grace through faith, or we're lost. And the only difference between someone who's lost and someone who's saved is the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not me, it's not what I've done, it's not my talent, it's not how righteous I am, it's the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ applied to my account, given to me in exchange for my sinfulness. The woman saw that the tree, verse 6, the woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at, and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she took some of its fruit and ate it, and here's that old sorry husband of hers. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and ate it. Do you see a bit? Now listen, Adam has been given two mandates before this passage. God has created Adam and he's given him two mandates, two, two uh, commands that he's to do. Uh, one is the command to work, right? Uh, and, and that is this, the, the command to rule, the mandate to be co-heirs with God. God created man and then gave man dominion over all the things on the earth. And so the mandate for Adam was to rule with God, to have dominion over the things on the earth. And so God wasn't trying to hold out on Adam. And God had actually created Adam and then given him dominion over the earth. He and Eve together would rule and have dominion 
over the earth. He would be a co-ruler with God on earth. He wasn't God. He wouldn't become God. But God had created him for such a personal, intimate relationship that would also include them reigning together. Adam had dominion over the earth for just a, a brief time because he loses it in this sin and in this fall. Adam's also been given a mandate to spiritually lead his family. To spiritually lead his family. He, he is responsible and going to have to answer to God for the spiritual condition of his family. And, and so when Eve takes the fruit and gives it to Adam, and Adam takes the fruit and eats, he's broken two commands. One, he is supposed to have dominion over the earth and to rule the earth, and now the creature has been so cunning... That the creature has shown authority over Adam. The creature says, the serpent says, take and eat. And what did they do? They took and eat. When Adam had the dominion to simply say to the serpent, get out of here. Leave. Not based on my authority alone, but by the authority given me by God, leave us. But it looks so good. And it seems something pleasing. And really, what would it hurt? aren't these questions we have to deal with and grapple with? I talk to people all the time and people will say things about uh, looking back over their life and at some sinful decision they made and how the impact now years later is still with them and they just say things like, you know, if I'd only known then what it was going to cost. I used to say all the time and I, I still, I believe this is true, no one wakes up one morning and decides that they want to be a, a drug addict. No, but it starts with a bad decision. And before too long, it's cost them a whole lot more than they want to pay. And it's taken them a whole lot further than they wanted to go. And now they are completely, completely addicted to drugs. They're alcoholics who thought it's not going to hurt anybody for me to take a drink. And now years later they would say, if I only knew what it was going to cost me then. If I only knew what the, what the impact would be then. Can you imagine if Adam was able to see what the impact of a sin was going to be? This sin is going to impact all of creation. Every aspect of creation. Adam failed at his mandate to lead his family. Spiritually. And Adam failed to have dominion over the creatures of the earth. And friends, when we fail, when we fall, when we sin, there are consequences to our sin. And it is this sin that is the, the core, the root, the, um, the, the one point in history that now has led to every hurt you've ever felt. Every loss you've ever experienced are all the consequences of sin. All the consequences of not following God's mandates in our life. Not, not doing what God's called us to do. It says, let's look at, um, alright, so she took it, she gave it to her husband, he's with her, he ate it. Then the eyes of both them were open and they knew they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Verse 8 begins to show us the consequences of his sin. I want you to follow me here, listen. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God. Now he's Lord God. Right? Satan was talking, he's just God. He's just God. It's okay to recognize he's God. There's no, no reason to even deny it. It's all right. Even Christians, right? Satan's okay with you believing in God. 
He's not okay with him being the Lord God of your life. The man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So the Lord God called out to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Then he asked, who told you you were naked? Of course, you'll find that all through Scripture, there, there is a correlation between nakedness and sin. All right. uh, in fact, I, I read a guy's dissertation, who did his dissertation on looking at the clothing uh, from different empires all the way up to the present and the condition or wickedness of the empires which they represented. And, and what he uh, concluded now, he's just a man, but he, he did a lot of study. What he concluded is that you can always tell uh, the moral uh, compass of a people by the way they dress, by what becomes acceptable. Now listen, there are people who have never you know, lost people groups, never had human contact. Nobody's ever told them they're naked, in a sense. You with me? It's not their, their morality, but, but it's this, the more I show of myself, what does it say about our culture? Uh, you know, having a 16-year-old daughter, I can't stand going to the beach in the summer. I'm not saying we're in moral trouble, but uh, it's just uh, you look at our culture and our society and what we used to really covet Right, And we could see that even in the way we dressed. And now we seem to be more and more um, open to anything. And we can even see that in the way that we dress. Adam and Eve realized for the first time, we don't have any clothes on. Why? Because it represented their awareness of good and evil. I love this question God asked. Well, who told you? Right. Can you just see this kid standing in front of his dad and his dad just happens to be the creator of the world and his dad says, who told you you were naked? You just confessed your sin, right? You just told me you sinned and the fact that you know that you're naked. It's like you know, if your dad came home and you'd taken his car out and, uh, and you wreck the car and you put it back and you try to put it in place and your dad walks in and you say to your dad, I didn't wreck your car. And the dad says, well, who wrecked it? How did you know it was even wrecked? Who told you the car was wrecked? Adam's trying to fix his spiritual condition. I want you to see what, what they're doing. I'm, I'm going to fix my spiritual condition, the nakedness that I now recognize by sewing fig leaves together and making clothes. Now, I won't be naked. So I'm going to cover up my sins. I'm going to, I'm going to try to cover up my sins with, with fig leaves. This is what I'm going to do. This, this seemed like a good plan, I guess, to Adam and Eve at the time. God had a completely different plan. And that, that was just a listen. I want you to notice, I was sharing Talking to Sonia about this yesterday. Isn't it amazing that Adam has just maybe had the, the biggest mess up in the history of mankind, right? Now, again, if it would have been us, we would have done the same thing Adam and Eve did. Um, and his first instinct isn't to look for God. 
He doesn't mess up. He doesn't recognize his sin. Eve doesn't mess up and recognize her sin. And immediately they say, we've got to take this to God. We need to go and talk to God about this. We, we, we realize now we're naked. We have really messed up. We have been deceived by the serpent. Satan has really done a number on us and we fell for it. But he doesn't go looking for God. Here's the most comforting thing. Listen, God comes looking for him. Like, God comes looking for him. Adam has just sinned and messed up. He's he's failed at both mandates God given, right? Adam, you only had two jobs to do. You just failed at both of them. And, and, And God doesn't come down and begin to condemn. He first comes down and listens. Adam, where are you? Adam, how did you know you were naked? And it's as though, God, listen, we can't fix and cover up our own sin. That requires God. But even in our biggest mess-ups, when we feel like we want to run from God, how can we face God after this? It's God who comes looking for us. It's God who came looking for Adam. Just think about that a second. When I mess up, and I do, right? And we all mess up. We all, we all fall short of the glory of God. We all, all do. I don't have to cower from my God. I don't have to hide myself from Him. God doesn't want me hiding myself from Him. God wants me coming before Him. He seeks me out. Do you remember when you got saved? Do you remember when you first recognized in your own life that you were in big trouble? Do you remember the awareness that I'm in trouble? If, if, if something doesn't change in my life, I'm going to die and go to hell. Right? And you didn't realize that on your own. It's God who revealed that to you. The Holy Spirit of God convicted your heart and brought you to the realization apart from God, apart from going to God through Jesus. I am lost. I am undone. I am on my way to eternity separated from Him. It was God who revealed that to you. It was as though God came down and said, Hey, Bruce, who told you you were naked? Because for the first time I recognized my nakedness, my sinfulness, my unrighteousness, my separation from God. Paul, uh, uh, excuse me, Adam continues to talk. Who told you you were naked? Did you eat from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man replied, I love this, don't you? We all know what Adam says. Uh, God, I'm just going to tell you the truth. It was the woman you gave me. She's the one who did this. She gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Listen, it is natural. It is man's natural inclination to look for somebody else to blame. Don't you love what Eve then does? Eve doesn't take responsibility either. Eve says, it wasn't me, it was the serpent. Somebody ought to just take responsibility for this. Both are equally guilty. Both have disobeyed God. Both have sinned. So the Lord asked the woman... What is this you've done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me. And I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, you just see God kind of going down a list, right? 
Adam, what happened? The woman. Woman, what happened? The serpent. Serpent. I pray that in times where we've fallen short, we would be willing to just confess before Almighty God who's, who's calling on us to be reconciled. He's really coming, seeking to be reconciled with us, seeking to forgive us and to bring us back into right fellowship with Him. I pray that we would just be willing to say, it was me. I messed up. I, I sinned. I, I've fallen short. Listen, Christianity is the only religion in the world where when you admit that you failed, you are closer to God than any other moment. When I admit that I'm a failure, when I, when I fall down on my face and say, I can't do this on my own, that's when God is most pleased with you. So it's not in your success. It's in your failures that we find God looking and seeking us out. God could call the smartest men in the world, but yet God confounds the wise men of the world by using people, people like me, just simple folk, right? God, God could, His plan could be to save the world through all number of plans, and yet He chose to use the church to be the mechanism by which the gospel would be taken to the ends of the world. And surely all of us in the church would say, God, there must be more qualified people, and yet you've chosen us. Why? So that you might be glorified. You might confound the wise. That your ways are different and higher than our ways. So the Lord said to the serpent, because you've done this, you're cursed more than any livestock and more than any wild animal. You will, you will move on your belly and eat dust all the day of your life. I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. I can testify to this. God has put hostility between me, the, the uh, offspring of a woman, and snakes. Yeah, I mean, like, that's probably the best amen I've had in like six months, right? I'm not messing with them. Nobody had to teach me. I was born with an innate ability to know I don't like them. I'm not sure that's exactly what God was talking about here, but it seems to apply. Right, and then he's talking about Christ here and this picture of this, this offspring of the woman, this, uh, the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ who will come and says, He will strike your head and you will strike His hill. And he said to the woman, now listen, here's the consequences of our sinfulness. He said to the woman, I will intensify your labor pains. You will bear children with painful effort. Your, your desire will be for your husband, yet he will rule over you. Here's the beginning of marriage problems. Now, literally, I, I mean, no joking around. This is when marriage problems begin. You're going to seek, your desire is going to be for your husband, but he's going to seek to rule over you. And he said to the man, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, do not eat from it. The ground is cursed because of you. You will eat from it. Uh, by means of painful labor in all the days of your life, I will produce thorns and thistles for you, or it will. And you will eat of the plants of the field. You will eat bread by the sweat of your brow until you return to the ground. You're going to die. This is the biggest consequence, right? Satan was saying to Eve in a deceiving way, when you eat it, you won't die. You'll just gain the knowledge of good and evil. But when sin entered the picture, so did death. Death is the consequence of sin. And if all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, then all of us have been appointed a time to die. And yet, for those who are in Christ Jesus, He took my sin, 
And He bore my shame on the cross of Calvary. And He died in my place so that I might have the promise of never being separated from God for the rest of all eternity. So even when my physical body stops working, immediately I'm in the presence of God forever. So the consequence that Adam brought with his sin is separation from God and death. What did Jesus Christ bring through his righteousness? Eternal life. And never again will we be separated from God. You'll return to the ground since you were taken from it. For you are dust and you will return to dust. I want you to, to notice what God does. And then I, I want to close. It says the man had named his wife Eve because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made clothing from skins. See, when Adam tried to clothe himself, when Adam tried to cover up his sins, it wasn't sufficient. It wasn't enough. Here's what I would say to you, friends. If you've been taught or, or you've been led to believe that Scripture would say, if you really want to make up for your sins, then work really hard. You can work from now till the Lord Jesus Christ comes back and you will never do enough to cover up your sins. Adam tried covering up his own sins. When God sees the need, God takes the skin of an animal and He makes clothing for them. I want you to see the picture of the Lord Jesus Christ in what God does. The very first sacrifice made for sin was made by God. It was God who sacrificed an animal so that Adam and Eve could be covered from their sinfulness. Since the Garden of Eden, it's always required the blood of the innocent to pay for the sin of man. The ultimate picture of this is the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the second time that God will sacrifice for the sin of man. This time, the sacrifice will be Jesus Christ. This time, we will be covered in the blood of the Lamb of Jesus Christ who is spotless. And now we are covered once and for all. It is a sacrifice that is sufficient for all times. Jesus never has to die on the cross again. When he did it the first time, it was finished. It's still finished. It will always be finished. The very blood of the Lord Jesus Christ covers us, for, uh, covers us from our sinfulness in the same way that God uses the skin from an animal to cover Adam and Eve. Jesus, right here in Genesis chapter 3, over and over, I'll put enmity between the serpent, your offspring, and the offspring of the woman, Jesus. You will crush His head and He'll strike your heel, the Lord Jesus Christ, to Satan. And ultimately, you will be covered in the blood of the innocent, the one who did not sin. You know, this animal, whatever skins were used, and Scripture doesn't seem to imply, imply or say, Whatever it was, that animal had not done anything. That animal was innocent. But it required an innocent animal to be sacrificed so that the guilty could have their sins covered. 
And the same is true with the Lord Jesus Christ. It required the one who was innocent, the one who was perfect, the one who was good, the one who was holy, that he would lay his life down so that my life might be covered in his righteousness and that I might be able to take my sinfulness and have it paid for in his atoning work of the cross. What a beautiful picture we have. So where does all of our pain and trouble come from? There's an origin, there's a root. We can trace it all the way back. Why is it that me and my wife, uh, we struggle? Not, not really me and my wife. You understand, I mean you and your wife when I say me and my wife. I'm really talking about you. What is it that, that uh, why is there strife in even a, the godliest marriage? Listen, y'all know what I'm talking about, unless y'all want to lie in church, right? Or on Facebook Live. We know what it's like to, for two people to live together constantly, to, to, be, to become one. It's something you work on for all eternity. It's something you work on from now until you meet the Lord face to face. And it can be the most beautiful and rewarding relationship this side of eternity and apart from our relationship with God through Christ. But it's also one of the most difficult relationships. Why? Because man and woman sin, failed to do their duty, and God said there's consequences to your sin. Y'all got things all mixed up here. Adam, you're the one who has to answer for me for the spiritual deeds of your family. Eve, you're supposed to be his helpmate. Listen, uh, you're equal with Adam. You're just as good as Adam. You are loved just as much as Adam. But I've called you to something different than I called Adam. Not better, just different. I don't know about you, but I'm certainly glad that God created me and my wife different. I wouldn't want to be married to me. And so there's something different about these relationships. One's not greater than the other. But one day we stand before God, we answer for the role God's put in His Word for us to play. Adam blew it. Should have protected his wife. Should have intervened when the serpent tempted. But he fell short. He stayed back. He, 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 he kind of cowered a little. He, he allowed this to take place. When he had the authority to simply say to the serpent, leave. And now there's consequences in every relationship. Whether it be husband and wife whether it be uh, father and daughter, mother, son, sister, brother, work, your co-workers, there is strife in all relationships. Why? Because we can trace it all the way back to Genesis 3 when God had given them a mandate for how their relationships should work and they failed in that call as the consequence of their sin. We struggle through relationships today. We get sick. Why do we get sick? Because one of the consequences of sinfulness is death. This body will wear out. Why do bad things happen to good people? Because the consequences of sin. We can trace every hurt and every pain. Every jealous action. Every prideful decision we've ever made. From our financial struggle to our marital struggles to our work problems. They're all traced back. They all have a, a beginning point. 
this finite moment in time where sin entered the picture. And when sin entered the picture, it completely warped everything God had created. Can we see, still see the image of God in us? Yes, but it's all messed up, man. It's not like it was before sinfulness entered. Can we still see the hand of God in creation all around us? Yes, but even creation is all messed up because of sin. This world was made to work and function smoothly. And because of Adam's sin and the work that he had been called to, now the ground would grow thorns and thistles. It would be by hard work that the ground would have to be cultivated. But if we see nothing more, I want you to see and leave with this encouragement. When we mess up, and we will, we don't have to run from our God. We don't have to hide from our God. We don't have to try to cover up our own sins. We don't have to try to earn back God's love for us because His love doesn't dwindle. And even though there's times when we may want to hide our face from God, God is seeking us. He's just calling us. When we mess up and when we deserve to be loved the least, it's when God loves us the very most. We don't walk around trying to mess up. But when we do, God is there to reconcile us. God is there to be the source of our forgiveness and the source of our reconciliation. Recognize this, that when you struggle in relationships, when you struggle in this world, when you struggle physically in this body, that you need to go directly before Almighty God for answers. It's the result of sin. Not your sin. Not my sin. Humanity's sin. And then I want you to see very clearly the price that was paid for the consequences of sin. It was Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ had to come and die for my sin, your sin, and the sin of the world because the consequence of our sin was death. And so through Adam came death. But according to the Apostle Paul, through Christ came life. And life everlasting. I'm glad that I don't have to try to fix my mistakes all on my own. I'm glad that when I mess up, God doesn't turn his head from me. I'm glad that when I've run from God in the past, God was still calling, where are you? Who told you you messed up? And God was there to provide the forgiveness and the love that only a perfect father can provide. So wherever you are today, whatever you've done, whatever circumstances you're dealing with, however painful it may be, realize we really do not war with one another. This really is a battle of principalities of darkness and those things in the air. It is sin that we're really battling. Your husband or your wife is not the source of your problems. Sin is the source of our problems. Realize that those relationships you seem to struggle with most, that you're not really fighting that person. It's not really a struggle with you and them. It's really a struggle with sinfulness and darkness. And only God can provide a way out of that. And so when you're struggling, 
Go to God. When you fall short, run to God. Because he has already provided the perfect lamb to cover our sins. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to be in your house today. To be able to watch a sermon through Facebook Live. I pray you speak to our hearts and our minds even now. As we leave this place, you would comfort us with the knowledge that we serve such a personal and intimate God that you come looking for us. And I pray, Lord, that as we go about our weeks, and Lord, we know that uh, we're struggling right now with things shut down and we can't get out. I just pray that you give us all peace and all joy, peace and joy of the Lord Jesus Christ, and uh, Lord, that ultimately you would, uh, you would stop the spread of the sickness, uh, that things could open up and begin to get back to normal, and uh, we will give you the glory and the praise for it. So Lord, be with us, keep us safe. Bring us back at the next appointed hour when we might open your word and study together. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.